and welcome to the Sneak Peek Podcast, your weekly fix of all things sneakers here in Aotearoa. Our guest today is a University of Oregon educated sneaker journalist who has been working in the industry for over a decade. Currently, he is the general manager of Soul Collector, the world's leading sneaker news outlet, and is also a co-host on the Complex Sneakers Podcast and Full Size Run. Please welcome Mr. Brendan Dunn. Thank you for that, Nick. How are you? I'm doing well, man. How are you? Feel all right. It's kind of a chilly day here in New York, but I'm inside with a sweater on, so I'm not too bothered about it. Right, right. Um, so firstly, uh, you're a sneaker journalist. We don't have any of those here in New Zealand. We don't have any like media outlets covering sneakers that much. So for our audience, could you explain a little bit about what a sneaker journalist is and what you guys at Soul Collector do? Yeah, sure. It's it's a there are many long answers to this, but I'll try and make it kind of brief. On on a top level, what we try and do is capture the sneaker releases happening every single week, which there are so many of in these days, and try and figure out where they're releasing, how much they're going to release for, and how you can get them. That's one piece of what we do. Another piece of what we do is capturing the larger trends that are happening in the industry, any type of salacious things happening at the sneaker brands, which designers are working with who, who's been hired by one company from another company, what the next collaborations are from any given brand, things like that. And, you know, one part of that also, as you mentioned at the top, is the shows that I do where we get to kind of give our personal opinions on some of these things and, you know, opine on which sneakers are worth spending your money on and which aren't. And yeah, just trying to capture everything that's happening in the world of sneakers. And also, in addition to capturing what's happening now, kind of looking back at the, the long history of collectible footwear and documenting that as best we can. Um, so when did you personally kind of start caring about sneakers? When did you start collecting sneakers? When did it all sort of start for you? I started really collecting sneakers when I was in high school. This is around 2004, 2005. I just became aware of sneaker communities on the internet and this idea that people were using sneakers to say something about themselves as kind of a cultural marker. So at that point, Nike SB dunks were very big. And that was kind of my entry point into the whole thing. I think a lot of people come to sneakers via sports. And as a person who didn't really play any sports growing up or didn't really, you know, didn't really watch sports at all in the household, it just wasn't a thing for me. So I don't have that standard sports entryway into the world of sneakers. It was really from a collector standpoint or kind of like, a, you know, almost like a hype beastie standpoint. I know that's a negative word, but kind of that world was more relevant to me than trying to figure out which basketball shoes were going to help me jump higher. As you mentioned, you were around in kind of the early 2000s and that's when sneak culture was, I guess, starting to gain a lot more traction, become a bit more mainstream. Has it been cool for you to see kind of what started out as a really niche culture kind of explode into this global phenomenon that it is today? It's been cool for me, but sometimes I pause and wonder if it was the right thing to do because the work that I've done over the past 10 years has contributed, I think, a significant amount to sneaker collecting and the hobby of being into sneakers becoming more of a mainstream global thing. There are positives and negatives to that, and sometimes I wonder if 
if it was again if it's right to always expose it to the most amount of people and to bring the most amount of people in i don't want to be a gatekeeper by any means and i'm happy to see more people enjoying sneakers but sometimes that means that the people who have been enjoying sneakers for decades don't have access to the things that they used to or don't feel the same way about it being as special so it's it's cool for me to see and i've enjoyed watching the progression but at the same time i do pause sometimes and reflect on whether or not it's all positive. And so you're also a fan of new innovations with the Nike running sneakers and stuff. One of my favorite quotes of yours is, how depressing would it be if the best sneaker of all time came out in 1985? Could you speak a little bit about that and kind of why you feel that way towards the new stuff coming out? I think that sneakers at their core are about sports performance or they're kind of a sports object, which maybe sounds ironic to hear me say, given that a few minutes earlier I, I described how my entry point into this world was not through sports, but I do think that they need in them some design originally when they first come out that is kind of intended for a function. And I think that knowing that or believing that has helped me to try and look forward or look at the present models as much as I can, because so much of what we're into in the world of collectible sneakers is about retro models. So much of the money we spend, so many of the shoes on our year end lists in every December are sneakers from years ago from 1985, the Jordan one, or maybe the dunk from 1985 or air Jordan three from 1988 or air max 90. These are the models we're obsessed with because they're classics, but we have to make room in our rotation and our appreciation of these things for stuff that's more contemporary, because this is about innovation on some level. And it's about pushing things forward. It's just like in the world of music and music criticism, you know, the old albums are cool, but people are making new things all the time. And I think those people deserve the recognition uh, for, for that work that they're putting in. Yeah, you do kind of see a lot of old sneakerheads kind of rely on the Jordans one through four type thing. And they just kind of only wear those because you're not like that. Do you kind of make a conscious decision when you are like having like a current rotation of four or five peers? Do you make a conscious decision to have some newer stuff in there as well? I try to. And a lot of times the newer stuff that I wear is specifically geared toward the bit of athletic activity that I do do. So like I'm a pretty active runner in, in most periods of my life. So that's always contemporary footwear. There are models from New Balance I wear that are more recent and stuff like Nike Yakuso line, things like that. I'm, I'm looking at these sneakers out of the corner of my eye as they're stacked up here in my room. Those are the kind of things that, yeah, I do try to make some room in my rotation in the regular sneakers I wear for contemporary stuff. It's it's not always easy, though, because at the same time, I do wear a lot of dunks or I do wear the same Reebok workouts quite frequently. So it's an idea that is sometimes difficult to put into place. Yeah, I love the guy who's so line. I love all of those. The Pegasus, not the Pegasus 36s and all of those. I love. Yeah, those. yeah, for sure. And you did kind of briefly touch on Reeboks. If anyone has ever like know who you are or has seen an episode of Full Size Run, they'll know that you quite regularly wear Reeboks. Why, why Reebok? What do you love about the brand and kind of when did that all start? I think it started about two years ago now. And it was just a moment of realizing that not that many people in that specific moment in time were wearing Reeboks or seemed to be appreciating Reeboks. And I just thought that they had such a deep and interesting archive that I would kind of embark on this journey to only wear Reeboks publicly for a long stretch of time. And this is just on the shows that I do. You know, in my in my regular life, I still wear non-Reeboks. And people see me out in the street and they're confused as to why I'm not wearing Reeboks. It's not it's not a um, 
a rule that is total in my life. But yeah, it just it just felt like a fun thing to do and go on a little run on the show, no pun intended, where I was only wearing Reebok shoes week in and week out, and that turned to the whole season and a season after that. And yeah, it just felt fun to be a fan of something different. And I, I, I still do wear Reebok pretty regularly, but also I've kind of trying to wean myself off of it because, I, again, I realized that there was this public perception of me only being a Reebok person when, as you can see by the number of sneaker boxes stacked up behind me that are non-Reebok, there, there's plenty of other things I'm into and know about and study and write about. So I do quite like Reebok, but it's not exclusively my passion in this world of sneakers. And you mentioned your big uh, sneaker wall behind you. Uh, for the, You've talked about it quite a bit publicly, but just for this, how many pairs of sneakers do you think you have? How many pairs of sneakers do I own in total? You know, I I, I think the number is like pretty... Uh, uh, this is always so hard to answer, and I feel I feel guilty because I think sometimes I, I report to people the different numbers, but I think it's around like 300 or 400 right now which I've downsized significantly and I'm happy about, but still a number that I very much need to tame. Um, yeah, mo- most of them are here with me at home. And then I have a large number of them at work at our, at our office here in New York. I used to have a, a, about 100 pairs on the West Coast too, but I've moved those out. So I've, I've done a lot in the past year to downsize and consolidate, which I'm very proud of. Yeah, letting go sneakers is always tough. Yeah. So we're going to let Brendan take a quick break now. And in this next segment, I'm taking a look at shoes for track and field athletics. Check it out. Running spikes for athletics have been around since the 1850s, with the earliest renditions of the shoes being made fully of leather with nails driven through the bottoms. Today, however, the shoes are much more technical, with many big-name brands producing spikes. I run in Saucony's. Well, no, not really. I've had a few Nike and Adidas ones and a few New Balance sort of shoes. Probably New Balance is the best that I prefer. These are the New Balance MD 500s. Not really. I've went between a few brands. Old Boys United Athletics Club president here in Christchurch, Nick Bolton, says athletes wear spikes as opposed to regular running shoes because of the grip they get. Athletes wear spikes because they have um, metal spikes on the bottom. It helps them um, get grip on the uh, rubber track here. So otherwise um, you would find that you'd slip quite a lot. He says the key to running fast is to spend as little time off the ground as possible. To be able to run fast, it's all about um, you know, having short time on the ground. So being able to um, get as much traction as you can in a short amount of time helps with that. There are even different styles of spikes for the different events that athletes partake in. And there's all sorts of different types of ones for different different um, disciplines. So for sprint spikes, um, like I've got in my hand, um, they don't have a heel on them because you're running on your toes. Middle distance and long distance spikes tend to have a small heel. Um, you've got long jump spikes, which have got spikes in the heel as well. Um, pole vault spikes are pretty similar. Um, high jump spikes also. So yeah, there's all sorts of different spikes for you know, different types of, di- of uh, events. James Mortimer competed in the 2006 Olympic Commonwealth Games and is now the lead sprints coach for Athletics New Zealand. He says the main difference between spikes and running shoes is how much lighter a track spike is. The main difference that you will find is just how light the spikes are. Um, some of the, the top spikes these days will have, uh, especially the sprint spikes, have carbon fibre plates. Um, yeah, I've had spikes myself weighing 4.5 ounces, 
Bruce Milne, who coached Mary O'Connor at the 1984 Los Angeles Olympic Games, says the spikes allow athletes to grip the track, which is made of synthetic rubber, and allow for maximum speed. So when you, uh, you want to run fast, you can't run fast in the pair of flat shoes. Even, even a racing flat won't do it. You need the traction off the tr- track. It's designed, track shoes are designed to give you maximum speed off the track so you get good grip. He and Nick say the shape and stiffness of the shoes allow athletes to run faster. Uh, a running spike um, are usually very stiff. And the shape of the shoe also allows you to run faster than a, just a flat shoe. So next time you're watching our Kiwi track athletes competing at the Olympic or Commonwealth Games, keep your eyes peeled for their choice of footwear. Welcome back. We are still joined here by sneaker journalist Brendan Dunn. So sneakers and sneak culture, while it has grown in recent years, it's still a relatively niche topic to most people who don't understand why people are into shoes. And so at Soul Collector, how do you guys continue to create content that is authentic to the original people, the pioneers of sneaker culture, but also appealing to the everyday consumer who doesn't know everything about sneakers? Yeah, I think we just see it kind of as our job in some ways to educate people about these sneakers so try and present these ideas or these niche stories about why a limited edition shoe from 2007 that only released at these five stores around the world means a lot so how do we keep true to the people who have been in it for a long time i think the answer to that is simply that we are the people that have been in it for a long time you know the the people who i'm lucky enough to have on staff with me who contribute daily to the news posts we do and the editorial work that we do and the brand voice in general. Those are all people who have been doing this in one way or another for decades now, grew up in it, worked in retail stores, have edited for a long time. So so we were there and remember those stories. And I think we can understand better than most how to communicate those stories to people who weren't necessarily there. You know, which things do we need to explain? Which kind of subcultural phenomena do we need to break down really in order for people to understand that these are meaningful items to us so do you guys aim to educate is that one of your main goals when you guys post articles and things yeah i think so although sometimes it's hard because you realize that there are people who aren't necessarily interested in the history of sneakers and sometimes that stuff doesn't pay off as much as you would want it to but i still think that's important work to do and it's work that we enjoy doing because so many sneakers haven't had their stories told really and there's a lot of stuff that released in the past 20 years which is the general span in my estimation of when brands have really been gearing releases toward people who collect sneakers so there, there's there's a there's a lot of stuff in that time frame that hasn't really been cataloged thoroughly that we're still looking back to and trying to understand so also kind of a slightly controversial topic in the world of sneaker journalists a lot of you guys have relationships with brands. You guys have deals with brands. You get sent free stuff a lot. How do you still remain unbiased in your reporting with all this outside influence from brands? It's a good question. And I think it's an important thing to consider all the time is whether or not the things we have access to are swaying our opinions around these products or these brands or these people who are involved with them. I think it's just an important thing for us to check each other on kind of within the company and you know 
anytime I want to write a story, I'm like asking the people around me, like, is this a good idea? Is this something that we're genuinely interested in? Or am I being biased here because of my proximity to it? And, and same for them. So I think we have a good system of checking in on each other and making sure that we're actually covering the interesting stuff instead of just quid pro quo. And so my final question for you, Brendan, is just what is, in your opinion, the greatest show of all time, regardless of hype, price, anything, just your favorite? My favorite or the greatest? Because see, I would I would categorize those as two different things. So now I'm trying to trying to suss those out. Can I can I go for my favorite? Yeah, go on. Okay, yeah. There's a there's a random. Actually, I think I have to maybe in a in a pile that's quite close to me. There's a pair of Nike SB Blazers that came in a navy suede with a checkerboard pattern on the heel that really don't mean a lot in the grand history of sneakers or even Nike SB specifically, but. I inherited them from a friend around 2010 or so and just a shoe that I wore and he wore for a long time as well. And one of those early Nike SB sneakers that really caught my eye. So for purely personal reasons, that's one of my favorites, if not my favorite. Yeah, that's quite a out of the box choice, which is very typical for you. <laughs> I'm not trying to be, um, you know, I'm not trying to be weird on purpose. No, no, so well, that's all the time that we have for this week's episode. Thank you again to Brendan for joining us. Really fresh time, man. Yeah, no doubt, Nick. Thank you for having me. And thank you all for listening to this final episode of the Sneak Peek Podcast. I've been your host, Nick Duff. It's been a pleasure. Brought to you by students of the New Zealand Broadcasting School.